Thank you for listening to the City Lights podcast. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. We hope you enjoy the message. All right, if you have your Bibles, um, if you would open up to Genesis um, chapter 25. We're going to hang out in uh, Genesis a lot today. Um, We'll be reading sections of Scripture um, between Genesis 25 and Genesis 32. And so you can turn there. We'll get there in a minute. Um, The past few weeks, we've been in a series called Questions God Asks You. God Asks You. And we've said that uh, many times in Scripture, you will notice, excuse me, you will notice there are times that God asks someone a question. Again, how many know that when God asks someone a question in Scripture, he's not looking to gain information? When we ask questions, we're looking for information, usually. How many know when God asks a question, he's not looking to gain information? Rather, he's wanting to do one of of three things. He's actually wanting to share information, lead you to a truth, um, to, to give revelation, either revelation about yourself or revelation about him. And ultimately, God wants to, number three, bring transformation to you and to the world around you. So that's why God asks a question. He's not looking for information. He's perfect in wisdom. He's perfect in understanding. He's perfect in knowledge. But we find there are times where God himself asks questions in Scripture. It's kind of peculiar. The questions, there's, I don't know the exact number. There's um, probably a hundred times that God, Jesus, um, in different ways, or prophets, you know, through a voice of a prophet, that God asks a question to someone. Probably somewhere around a hundred times God asks a question to someone in the Bible. But the ones we've tried to focus on in this series are questions that I believe that not only does he ask that person in that instance in the Bible, but times where he has a question that he actually asks all of us at one time or another in our lives. So that's what we'll be trying to uh, focus on. The title of my message today is called, What's Your Name? Everybody say, what's your name? name? All right. This is a question. What's your name? This is a question that God asked Jacob. Okay? And we'll read that text here in just a few minutes. But, um, and I'm going to use Genesis to kind of build this case a little bit, and we'll get to, the, we'll get to some uh, points here at the end, but I've got to build this up in the middle. Um, Jacob was born into a family of promise. His grandfather, Abraham, his father, Isaac, he was born into a family of promise. God had promised Abraham, I will, I will multiply your descendants like the sand of the sea, and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth are going to be, pl- be blessed, right? And of course, we know that is a, even a, a messianic prophecy of Jesus that would come through the line and the, the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Of course, because of Jesus, all nations of the earth have been blessed. And I would say even in addition to that, because of the nation of Israel, All nations on earth have been blessed. There's been many amazing inventions that have come out of those brilliant minds in the nation of Israel. So it's a family of promise. Jacob's part of this family of promise. But I will say that this family of promise also has its fair share of dysfunction. Right? Um, We just had Thanksgiving. Y'all were hanging out with some family that maybe you don't see on a regular basis. Maybe you witnessed some dysfunction. I don't know, right? Um, (laughs) Jacob is from a family of promise, but it's a family that also has its fair share of dysfunction. 
Now, how many are glad that God still uses people that have dysfunction, yeah. right? And uses families that have dysfunction. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't use perfectly polished people, right? He uses people with their issues and everything going on, and he, he qualifies the called, okay? He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And so in your Bible, I, I think this is interesting. There is a fair amount of people with issues, with dysfunction. I mean, Moses, for example, like the guy was a murderer, right? Paul, was a, uh, he consented to murder. Like a lot of people have serious issues. And, and um, here in Scripture, you know, we have Genesis at the beginning, Revelation at the end. And throughout these crazy, there's crazy stories in this Bible. Throughout this, God's plan is woven through there. Right? He weaves his plan in there, and he, I don't know how he does it, but he uses perfect God, uses imperfect people, and brings about his perfect will. He's amazing. Okay, And it's just like that in your life, and it's just like that in my life. He will use you, who are not perfect, and he will weave his perfect plan into your lives as we, as we yield to him. Okay? And so maybe you're here, and for whatever reason, maybe your family history, your, your past, Maybe you feel completely disqualified from being used by God. And I just want to say, we're all disqualified from being used by God, right? No one, none of us are qualified to be used by God. God qualifies the called, okay? And so it was no different with Jacob. Jacob was, um, Jacob's grandfather was Abraham. His father was Isaac. And then Jacob marries, I'm sorry, Isaac marries a woman by the name of Rebekah. Also from a dysfunctional family, family with some issues, okay? And I'm going to read this text, Genesis 25, verses 21 through 28. It says this, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out, the first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. I don't know if I've never seen a baby like that, but Esau, hairy and red. Okay. Verse 26. After this. His, I can tell you which one was the good-looking brother, probably, okay? <clears throat> After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. I kind of identify more with Esau in this case. I don't like to stay home. I like to go out into the, you know, the country. Watch this, verse 28. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Okay, remember that dysfunction I was talking about a minute ago? That's, that's kind of dysfunctional. When you have dad who loves you know, the older boy a little more, and your mom maybe felt sorry for the younger boy, and now she loves the younger boy a little bit more, right? <laughs> have you ever been in a family that... You know, one child was valued more than the other. I don't, you don't have to raise your hand, especially if you brought family this weekend, <laughs> right? Unless you're the favorite. You need to just be proud of it. Um, 
Or have you ever been part of a, um, a blended family, like where you have step-siblings and that kind of stuff? I, I have step-brothers. I even have ex-step-brothers. <laughs> How does that happen? Well, okay, you figure it out. <laughs> I have brothers. I have ex-step-brothers. I have a half-sister. I have a full-blooded brother. And I will say that it's hard for, for parents not to play favorites with the one that they made, right? It's hard for parents to do that. But that is also a breeding ground for competition, dysfunction, people needing to fend for themselves, people needing to earn love, right? And so that can breed dysfunction in families. Or how about this? Have you ever been in a family where a child was given preferential treatment over the spouse? This can also happen in blended families where I'm married to you now, but my kid still has priority over you, right? Anyone who does premarital counseling, in fact, I think it's more important that blended families do premarital counseling than just two people who have never been married before because you are mixing things together and there's a lot more complexity involved with that, okay? But anyone who does premarital counseling will tell you when you marry someone and you have kids and they have kids, you have to put that person you're marrying in priority above the children, okay? That can also breed dysfunction. So maybe that's a word for someone, I don't know. But your spouse first. But the name Jacob, it means he grasped the heel. And it became a Hebrew um, saying for he takes advantage of or he deceives, okay? Jacob, I don't know if it was because this was his name and he identified with it and became a swindler and a, and a con man, or if this was just a prophetic declaration. You know, he grabbed the heel and they're like, oh, that's cute. Let's call him Jacob. And then he took on this identity as a trickster, Right? This was, this was Jacob. He's a, he tricked people. He was a swindler. He, he, uh, he, he conned people out of, out of things, right? This is, this is Jacob. But he's in a family of promise, okay? There's a problem here. He's a family of promise. So <clears throat> Jacob was born second, but he didn't want to be second. Why? Because the birthright and the blessing of the father belonged to the firstborn. Okay, so the birthright has to do with both position and inheritance. The um, the birthright of the firstborn, um, the son inherited the leadership of the family and judicial authority of the father. Okay, Jacob tricks Esau out of the birthright, um, which I won't read right now, I won't go into, but you're more than welcome to go back and read this. And then Jacob tricks his father under the direction of his mother, tricks his father out of the blessing that was supposed to go to Esau. Jacob tricks him into getting that blessing, okay? There's some issues going on in this family, right? This is, by the way, I honor our forefathers. I honor the, the father of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the ones who've gone before us. We're part of that lineage through Jesus. I honor them, of course. But they had some issues, just like you, okay? So, <laughs> with the help of mom, with the help of Rebecca, he tricks his dad, out of, out of the blessing, giving it, giving it to Esau. So Genesis, we'll pick up Genesis 27. It says this, verses 42 through 45, it says this. Um, because Jacob had tricked um, his father out of the blessing, or Esau out of the blessing, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once 
um, to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. Okay, so Jacob, because he, his life is all messed up at this point, Jacob flees the Canaanite region, and he goes to stay with his uncle Laban, right? And this is the point, I believe, where God really started to refine Jacob, because Jacob, the trickster, began to start to get tricked, right? Because Laban was quite a trickster himself. In fact, this is probably, that family is probably where Rebekah learned that, right, and taught it to Jacob, and they probably learned it from their father, right? There's a fair amount of dysfunction going on. But he enters, I think, into a season of refinement, and he learns what it's like to be tricked. And I'm, again, I'm not going to go into the story. Maybe I'll just tell a little bit. He wanted one wife. He ended up with two and, you know, two concubines, okay? Um, he didn't want all these wives. He wanted one wife. He loved one, but he got tricked into marrying a bunch of women, okay? Um, and has a bunch of kids. And so eventually... God says to him, I want you to return to the land of your forefathers. I want you to return um, to where you're from. Now, here's the problem. God says return. Jacob thinks, uh-oh, I still have a brother in this land, right? I, th- I still have a brother who I think wants to kill me. So this is a problem. What does Jacob do? He sends these messengers ahead of him with gifts to try to appease this brother of his. Bring him gifts and, you know, try to, try to get him to calm down so he doesn't kill Jacob and his whole family. So we'll pick up in Genesis 32, we'll read 6 through 12. It says, When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. I'd be nervous. And Jacob was. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, the flocks and the herds and camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the other group... Um, that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed. I would pray too. <laughs> o God of my father Abraham, the God of Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and to your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I only had my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Verse 22. That night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. All right. I'm going to pause right here. Sometimes we kind of breeze through this text, but I want you to feel the weight of what is happening in this moment. He's left alone. He thinks his brother may be coming to kill him. He's with 400 men. He's divided his possessions. I don't know about you, but have you ever been camping? Have you ever been camping by yourself? Like deep woods by yourself camping? Like this is different than car camping, you know, or in an RV. You know, I don't know, that's kind of like, if you hear something outside your tent and you're camping by yourself in the middle of the woods, that's already kind of freaky enough. But then you add on top of that, there's someone who might be trying to kill you in this vicinity. That kind of magnifies and amplifies what's going on in your head. I wouldn't sleep at all, (laughs) right? And then, so that'd be a little intense. And then this strange, this is such a strange story, starts to unfold. 
the Bible says a man emerges from the darkness and begin and attacks Jacob. They begin to wrestle. This is what I would be thinking. This is Esau. He's come to kill me. This man who's come, he's, you know, or at least he's playing a really evil older brother prank right now, like coming out of the darkness and attacks me. For all we know, Jacob may have thought, I'm fighting for my life at first here. This man comes out of nowhere, attacks Jacob. He's wrestling all night with this person. Okay, Genesis chapter 32, verses 24 through 25. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled the man. Okay. By the way, this is your first clue that this is no ordinary man here. Verse uh, 26. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Okay, you see right here, he was actually wrestling with God. Verse 31, the story, uh, the sun rose above him as he passed by Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip, okay? He was limping because of his hip. In actuality, I would say this wrestling match that he had with God was a culmination of Jacob's entire life. Have you ever, have you ever felt like you've been in a wrestling match with God, right? There's one thing to wrestle in prayer, to contend in prayer. There's another thing where you're just, God's doing something to you, you're wrestling with God. I remember when, actually, when I was Baptizing the Holy Spirit, I felt like there was a, a wrestling in my heart before I yielded to his spirit, before I yielded, before he came in and filled me. There was like a, a laying down of my will that happened. Sometimes we wrestle with the Lord. But Jacob, this is a culmination of his entire life. He had wrestled and contended with every person. He'd even wrestled with God his entire life. In fact, on, the, on his way out to be with his uncle Laban, he stops in a place called Bethel and, and, and um, has an encounter with the Lord. And the Lord says, I'm going to bless you. I want to bless you and your descendants. He's, he's keeping his promise to Abraham. And Jacob is like, yeah, I'll serve you. But first, you got to do this, this, and this. He like, lists these things. He's wrestling with God. He's bargaining with God. He's, this is his whole life, is wrestling with people, trying to be a manipulator, a taker. He deceived everyone. He tricked everyone. He's grabbing everyone by the heel, right? This is Jacob's character. Here's the problem. God made a promise to Abraham and has a will to bring about, his, um, to make Abraham a great nation, to make his descendants a great nation that will bless the entire earth. The problem was that Jacob's nature, character, and identity could not carry the weight of the promise that God wanted to bring. Okay? Why? Because Jacob's identity was rooted in self-sufficiency and deception. Okay, so what does God need to do? He needs to change his nature, character, and identity so that he can bear up under the weight of that promise, that amazing promise that God wants to bring. So he gives him a new identity. All right, I want to illustrate this a little bit. So I'm going to have Ben and Zach, why don't you guys come up? 
I would have been the other man in this illustration, but we don't have a headset today. I gotta, gotta hold the microphone. So this is Jacob in the illustration. His name's actually Ben, okay. He's our youth pastor. Um, this is Jacob, and we'll move over here a little bit. So this is Jacob, and this is God, which Zach is almost God, you know. His, not an omnipotence, but in like character. So, so these two, these two um, go ahead and, and, and kind of engage in a, in a struggle, a wrestling match. Don't, don't do any throws or takedowns, okay? So they're, they're contending. This is, this is Jacob wrestling all night with the angel of the Lord. <clears throat> Finally, the Lord realizes, I've got to do something. I'm not overpowering this person, so what does he do? He touches the socket of his hip. And what happens? His, his hip gives out. Now look at this. <laughs> what is happening? No, seriously, what is happening here? He's leaning on God. He's now relying on, on God's strength. He's no longer relying and standing on his own two feet. All right? Okay, give these guys a hand. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> He's leaning. God came and he, and he wrestled with him, took away this dependency, this self-sufficiency that Jacob had. He was relying on himself his entire life. Probably rooted in the fact that mom loves me, dad doesn't, I got to fight for myself, right? So I got to swindle everyone, I got to trick everyone, I got to earn my way, I got to be scrappy, I got to be tough, right? Now I don't know if there's anything wrong to be, with being scrappy and tough, but there is something wrong with not relying on God and trusting in him and always relying on yourself, Right? It's better to walk with a limp with God than to walk on your own two legs without him, okay? And this is, what, this is what God wants for us. He wants us to walk with him, leaning our beloved. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on their beloved, right? He wants us to be reliant on him. So, <clears throat> here's my question. <clears throat> Does God, I wonder if there are people here that have promises that are bigger than your current character, nature, and identity can carry. I wonder if he's promised some things over you, but he needs to deal with your character, nature, and identity first. Genesis 27, verse, uh, 32 verses 27 through 28 says this. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob answered. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Again, Jacob means deceiver, trickster, Right? The name Israel means God strives or God fights. Okay, so in this moment, God comes and he changes Jacob from heel grabber, do-it-myself, self-sufficient deceiver to God fights for me. God fights my battles. God fights my battles for me. Leaning on the Lord, okay? How many are here, and maybe there's, there's a weight of a promise that God has for you in your life, but he needs to do some work in your nature, character, and identity first, okay? God might be asking you today, what is your name? Who are you? What's your identity? Is your identity in me or is your identity in yourself, okay? Maybe God wants to challenge that today and do some new things, okay? Are you fighting some battles that maybe God hasn't called you to fight? Maybe there's some battles that he's called you to just rest in him and trust him for, amen? Come on. So I want to give you a few glimpses of, of what this can look like in practical terms. This can look like so many different things, but I just want to give you a few glimpses of what this can look like and how this can play out in our own lives. Um, of God fighting for you 
and leaning on him, leaning on our beloved, okay? Um, let me give you, I'm going to give you five examples. Number one, examples of God fighting for you. Number one, righteousness, our right standing, our right relationship before the Lord, okay? The Bible says we don't have a righteousness of our own. We don't have it. In fact, the Bible says our best righteousness, the best we can do, is as filthy rags to the Lord. Okay, so where do we get our righteousness from? Right? We have to get it from him. We have to do what? We have to lean on him for our righteousness. Let me read this scripture, Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 9. It says this. Paul said this. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of uh, knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. So he's talking about his past, uh, um, his, his failures and his successes, everything. He considers it garbage for the sake of knowing Jesus. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or from my performance or from my good deeds, right? But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, Okay, there's an example of leaning on God. There's an example of not standing on, I'm going to make myself holy. I'm going to stand and people are going to see how holy I am. I'm going to prove to God how holy I am, right? We have a righteousness not based on ourselves. We have a righteousness based on faith that God provides for us. Okay, example two. How about this one? Um, The Sabbath day. God, God says, hey, it's important for you to slow down one day a week, take a break, take a rest. You need this. Right? Now, sometimes that's hard for people because we, we're, we're standing on our own two feet. We've got to work hard, and I've got to make this happen, right? We don't, take a, we don't stop and take inventory and take a, take a Sabbath, take a day of rest, okay? When God fights for you, you can take a day off knowing that he will more than make up on the other six days that you work hard, okay? What are you doing? You're, you're leaning on your beloved. You're leaning on God. Um, here's another example. Tithing. Giving back to God 10%. I did a message on this a couple weeks ago, by the way, if you want to go back and listen to that on tithing. Um, When God fights for you, you can give him back the 10%, and he fights for you and makes the 90% that's left go further than the 100% that was there in the first place. That's God fighting for you. You, Whenever an offering book goes by and you put your tithe in it, you're acknowledging that God fights my battles for me. He's my provider. Okay, uh, Malachi three ten through eleven. It says this: Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Watch this. Watch what happens. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines of your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Okay. Giving back to God is acknowledging he's my source. He's my provider. I'm trusting you with this. It's leaning on him. Um, how about this one? Forgiveness. That's a really good example of God fighting your battles for you. When God fights for you, you can forgive your enemies because you know that vengeance belongs to the Lord. And if he wants to repay, he can repay. And if he wants to pardon, he will pardon Vengeance belongs to the Lord. It's saying, God, I'm not going to fight this battle. I'm leaning on you. I'm going to acknowledge that I need to forgive this person. I'm going to forgive them. And I'm trusting you with the results. Amen? Let me give you one more. Promotion. You're, you're applying for a promotion at work. If God fights for me, I can apply for that promotion 
and leave the results up to him. I don't need to go behind my coworker's back, the other one who's applying for the same position, and slander that person for my boss to try to win my boss's favor, right? I can actually speak well of that person. I can bless that person knowing that the results are in God's hands, okay? That's trusting God. That's leaning on God. That's walking with a limp. That's saying I'm, I'm walking with God. I'm acknowledging. I'm not self-sufficient. I'm leaning on him, and he's my provider. Amen? So what's your name? What's your identity? Are you identifying with Jesus? Are you identifying in Christ? Or are you trying to do it all yourself? Are you self-sufficient? Are you standing on your own? I want to encourage you today to lean on your beloved. Lean on God. Are you self-sufficient or is God fighting your battles? I would rather have God fight my battles than me fight my battles. Thanks again for tuning into the City Lights podcast. We appreciate your support and we'd love to fellowship with you. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. Be sure to check out our website at citylights.church where you can submit prayer requests, receive info on special events, and find our social media links. We're glad you could join us and we hope you have a blessed week.